الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين We're now going to begin the tafsir of Surah Al-Shams والشمسي وضحاها And probably in this lesson we're going to cover the first half of the surah there or thereabouts. So we've already mentioned regarding this surah, the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim, that this surah was among those that the Prophet ﷺ advised Mu'adh ibn Jabal to lead his people with in the Isha prayer when he used to, he or he had a habit of praying with, with long uh, surahs from the Qur'an. He would lead the people to the point where it would become hard for them. And from the things the Prophet ﷺ advised him to lead the people with, from the surahs that he advised, is وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا And we know also that this surah is a surah which is Makkiyah, it was revealed in Makkah. As for the topic of the surah, it relates to the soul, from the point of view of purifying the soul and corrupting the soul. And then the example is given of Thamud, a people who corrupted their souls and did not purify them despite being given the clearest of signs from Allah the naqa, the camel that came, the she-camel, which was the clearest of signs. But despite the clearest of signs, they did not purify the soul in the way that Allah commanded them to. As for the name of the surah, it's most commonly known by the name وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا to distinguish it from surah At-Takweer إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ because it could be mentioned the word shams, there could be a confusion between Surat At-Takweer, إِذَا الشَّمْسُ كُوِّرَتْ and between وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا Otherwise, the Surah is known as Surah Al-Shams, Surah Al-Shams. But sometimes for clarification, it is called وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا So let us start with the first ayah, وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا Here Allah swears by the sun. And we've mentioned many times in our tafsir classes about the oaths that Allah when Allah swears by different things among his creation, we've said that it's not permissible for a Muslim to swear by anything other than Allah. But as for Allah Jalla Fi'ula, he swears by whatever he wants from his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah only swears by something which is azim. It's very, very great in his, in his sight subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah swears by the sun, shams, and it's duha. It's duha. So Allah swears by the sun, and it's duha. So the word duha, generally speaking, usually speaking, it refers to the time in the early morning, the forenoon, the time from when the sun rises, the height of a spear until the time of Zawal when the sun is right in the middle of the sky. So from that, from the time when the sun rises to the height of a spear, which is after Shuruq by about 15 minutes, until the time when the sun is in the middle of the sky, this whole period of time is known as Al-Duha. And the scholars of Tafsir, not all of them translated or interpreted the word Duha to mean the specific time of duha. Mujahid rahimullah ta'ala said, duhaha means the light of the sun, by the sun and its light. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that duhaha means the whole day. And Ibn Jarir rahimullah ta'ala, he said Allah swore by the sun and its day because the clear light of the sun is the daytime. So here, what are we saying? What we're saying is that the primary meaning, the meaning that comes to mind when you hear the ayah is al-duha, the time of duha. That Allah swore by the time of duha. And we mentioned this in Surah al-duha, wal-duha. That Allah swore by the forenoon. The forenoon. However, some of the scholars who expanded it wider than that, they took it to mean that Allah is using the forenoon as an expression for the whole day. And we mentioned this in the ayah Nasiatin Kadibatin Khatiya. And Nasiya, a forelock, the for the, the frontal part of a person's head, which is Kadibatin Khatiya. 
it's a liar and it's a sinner. And we said that it's common in Arabic to use a part of something to refer to the whole thing. So Allah is referring to the person, but he refers to that person by nasiyah, by the front of their head, referring to a person by the most important part or the most obvious part. And so Ibn Jarir, he took it like that, rahimullah ta'ala, that Allah is referring to the whole day because he mentioned the most obvious part of the day and the brightest part of the day and the strongest part of the day and the hottest part of the day. So it's mentioning a part to refer to, to refer to the whole. However, we say that, and Allah knows best, it appears to me here that the opinion among the scholars of tafsir that the duha refers to the duha itself, there's no reason necessarily to go away from that because it is what comes to mind and generally we make tafsir by what is apparent from the words and also that this time is a time which is mubarak, it's a time which has blessings in it and it's a time which is azim in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal and we can take this also from the hadith in Sahih Muslim in which the Prophet spoke about Salatul Awwabin, the prayer of the repentant, is when the young camels lift their hooves from the heat of the sun. And that is the time of duha. So there is a, it is a time which is blessed, it's a time which is important in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal. And so, washamsi waduhaha, by the sun and its fawnun. So if we take the word duha here to mean the duha which is well known, the duha, which is the fonun. Why say duhaha? It's fonun. Why refer to the fonun as if it belongs to the sun? This is because the fonun is known, the duha time is known by the fact that the sun rises uh, to the height of a spear. So, because the duha time is marked by the sun, we know the beginning of the duha. And we know the end of the duha, and we know the best time of the duha when the sun becomes hot. We know these times by the sun, and so it is duhaha. It's the duha of the sun. It belongs to the sun because of the fact that the time of duha is marked by the different phases of the sun. It begins when the sun is the height of a spear, that is after shuruk by about fifteen minutes, and it continues until the sun becomes very very hot. And then it goes on to the end of a duha when we reach the time of Zawal, when the time when the sun is above, when the sun is directly in the middle of the sky. So the sun is what defines for us the time of duha, and therefore it is referred to as the time, as the sun's duha. Washamsi wa duhaha, by the sun and by its fonun, the fonun that belongs to the sun, because the sun is what tells us when that fonun is. وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا تَلَاهَا And by the moon, and before we talk about the moon, we should also mention there is a, a benefit in that Allah and I alluded to it in the beginning, in the introduction to the, the mawdu'a, the topic of the surah, is that we said that the duha and the shams are from the clearest of the ayat of Allah and also the moon. And indeed, the sun is the ayah of the daytime and the moon is the ayah of the nighttime. Allah Azza wa described it in Surah Al-Isra as the sign, as the ayatul layl, the sign of the night is the moon. And the ayatul nahar, the sign of the day being the sun. And so because they are two of the most clear of the signs of Allah Azza wa then when you think about the story of Thamud that comes later on, and probably we're going to cover that in the second uh, part of the tafsir, probably next week, inshallah. When you think about the story of Thamud, what comes to mind is how clear the signs they were given, and yet those signs passed them by and didn't make them change, and didn't make them turn to Allah. So here you really have to think about that. Allah begins by swearing by two of the greatest of his signs. The sun and the moon, والشمس and والقمر إذا تلاها. And these are two of the great signs of Allah. And if you see the great signs of Allah and those signs don't make you change, don't make you turn to Allah, don't make you correct your soul and purify it and keep away from all the things which dirty it and make it impure and corrupt. 
If, if the signs of Allah don't have that effect upon you, how can you see the major signs of Allah and let them pass you by? And that tells us that Islam and the message of Islam and the instructions of Islam are as clear as the sun. They're as clear as the sun in the sky, what Allah requires you to do. And we talk more about this, inshallah ta'ala. We come to فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Allah made clear to every soul what is good, what is bad. Like the clarity of the sun and like the clarity of the moon. So the clarity here, what, what we take from the beginning is not only are these things huge in the sight of Allah but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the surah with his major signs, clear signs that everybody can see and nobody can deny. And likewise, the message of Islam and what is good, what is khair, what is sharr, what is taqwa, what is fujur, what is righteousness, what is evil and wickedness is clear like the clarity of the sun and the moon. Here, the different opinions of the scholars of tafsir revolve around the pronoun and what the pronoun refers to. So here we have washamsi wa Here we don't have a choice in the pronoun. Duhaha has to go back to ashams by the sun and the sun's forenoon. The ha here has to go back to the sun. It has to go back to duha. There's no nothing else which is mentioned. And there's nothing else which is mafhum min as-siyaq, understood from the context. But when we come to al-qamar, we, we now have multiple things that we can look at. We have multiple possibilities. And so we could bring it back to the daytime and say that what is referred to here is the moon following the day because tala here means to follow to come afterwards so does it mean that the moon follows the day or that the moon follows the sun this is where the opinions of the scholars of tafsir differ is it are we being told that the moon follows the day or are we being told that the moon follows the sun if it's the case that the moon and we, we just take the different opinions of some of the scholars of tafsir mujahid rahimullah ta'ala he said it follows it Al-Awfi said from Ibn Abbas, it follows the day. So here Ibn Abbas, he took it to mean that it follows the day. The moon comes after the end of the day. As for Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala, he said when it follows it on the night of the crescent, the sun goes down and the crescent is seen. So Qatada took it to refer back to the sun, i.e. the moon follows the sun. But the question is, when does the moon follow the sun? So I say, well, the moon always follows the sun, but that's not strictly true, not in a very detailed and precise sense. The sun doesn't actually follow the moon, or the moon doesn't actually follow the sun in a very precise way. Rather, what Qatada said is, if you want the most precise time that the moon follows the sun, it is in the first day of the month. So if you're looking for the first day of Ramadan, or you're looking for the day of Eid, when do you look for the moon? immediately when the sun sets, you can see the moon. Almost instantly when the sun sets, you can immediately see the moon. The moon rise is at the time immediately after sunset. And if you want to understand this a little bit, if you look at, just look at the topic of the moon rise, just type into Google moon rise and have a look at the times for your city when the moon rises. And what you can see is you can see that the moon rises at different times it's visible at different times during the month. And the time when it's most clearly visible after sunset is the first day of the month. That's the day when you can see the moon immediately after the sun has set. And so Qatada took it to its most precise uh, tafsir. He didn't take it as a general sort of thing that, you know, the moon comes in the night and the night follows the day and the moon comes after the sun. But Qatada took it to the most precise sense that on the day of the crescent, the day of Ru'yatul Hilal, the day when you see the Hilal, is the day when the, the moon directly follows the sun. As for Al-Imam Ibn Jarir, Rahimahullah uh, Ta'ala, what Ibn Jarir, he took from it, he took a similar opinion to Qatada, Rahimahullah, or Rahimahullah. 
However, Ibn Jarir, he made it a bit wider than that. He said it refers to the first half of the month. What's with the first half of the month then? What does that mean? Well, if you look at the moonrise in the first half of the month, it's in the nighttime. In other words, in the first half of the month, the first day, the moon comes out immediately after the sun sets. The second day, it takes a little bit longer. The third day takes a little bit longer. The fourth day takes a little bit longer. Until you get around the 15th day. Until you get around the 15th day. Once you get beyond that, it goes outside of the uh, it goes outside of the 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 night the night time. So what you see is that with the moonrise time, the first half of the month is the time where the sun goes down and the moon comes up to a greater or lesser extent in the first half of the month. When the sun goes down, the moon goes up. Of course, it's not like the first night, but each night takes a little bit longer. But still, generally speaking, in the first half of the month, that's when you can say that the sun goes down and the moon follows it and comes up. So Ibn Jarir, rahimullah ta'ala, he took it as the first half of the month. And others from the scholars of tafsir took it more general than that, just simply saying that the moon rises at night and that's the meaning of uh, the meaning of Walqamari. What does it mean, Jallaha? Mujahid rahimullah ta'ala, he said it means that it lights it up. And this was the opinion of Ibn Jarir rahimullah ta'ala. And again, it's all down to what the pronoun refers to. So some people again kept the pronoun referring to the sun. So they said, when nahari ida jallaha, when the daytime, when the daytime makes the light of the sun apparent, because the sun's light is always there, as we know, the sun doesn't switch off at night. The sun's light is always there, but we only see it in the daytime. And so those people who referred when nahari ida jallaha, they referred the ha here to the sun. They kept it referring to the sun. They said here what it means is that the, the daytime makes the light of the sun apparent. The light of the sun is available in the night, but we can't see it. It, does, it doesn't switch off. It's there in the night, but we don't see it. When we see it is when the daytime comes. So the daytime makes the light of the sun apparent. When Nahari, Allah swore by the daytime, Ida Jallaha. When it makes the, 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 the light of the sun become apparent. And they based this upon a principle. In other words, they didn't just take this tafsir uh, like that. They based it upon a principle. The principle they based it upon is that whenever you have a group of pronouns, it is, ref it is always better to keep them referring to the same thing than to have them referring to different things. If it's possible to make the tafsir and keep each pronoun referring to the same thing, this is more deserving than having each pronoun refer to something different. So they said, وَالشَّمْسِ وَالْدُحَاهَا It's possible to refer, duhaha the ha goes back to the sun. وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا تَلَاهَا It's possible for the ha to go back to the sun. That the sun follows, the that the, the moon follows the sun. And again, it's possible to say that the ha here goes back to the sun. And they said this is more deserving. It's better in tafsir that if you have a series of pronouns, one after the other, that you keep them all referring to the same thing. If it doesn't contradict in meaning or it doesn't produce a false meaning, it's better to keep them all referring to the same thing than it is to make them refer to different things, especially when later on again, the same reference to the sun comes back again. It comes back again. So keeping them all referring to the sun is more is, is better in terms of tafsir. There's a principle that it's better in terms of tafsir than to make each ha refer to something different. However, some of them said, when Nahari Ida Jallaha, they said when the day lights up the darkness. So we'd say to them, where did you get the word darkness from? The darkness is not mentioned in the surah. They would say there is a concept, which is that when a pronoun 
a pronoun doesn't have to have the object it's referring to mentioned. Do we remember an example of this? Do you remember we did a tafsir of a surah where we mentioned an example of this? Clear example. Inna anzalnahu fi laylatul qadr. We sent it down on laylatul qadr. The word it here isn't, nothing is mentioned for what the it is. Despite the fact that there is a consensus that the word it here refers to the Quran. But the word isn't, the word Quran isn't mentioned. Only the pronoun is mentioned. We sent it down on Laylatul Qadr. Because when it's clear what you're talking about, you don't need to mention the word itself. So they said it's clear that Allah here is referring to the darkness. When Nahari jallaha, when the the day comes and it makes the darkness bright, it brightens up the darkness. They said it's clear that the word referred to is darkness here. Even though it's not mentioned in the surah, we understand it from the context. We understand it from the context. And it's also reported from Mujahid that he said, Jallaha is the same as Tajalla in Surah Al-Layl. In other words, it doesn't mean that the day makes the sun the light of the sun apparent, but it just means that the day became apparent. The word jallaha here, it means the same as tajalla. In other words, by the day when it becomes apparent. So three possible options here. Number one is the day when it makes the light of the sun apparent. The day when it makes the darkness come to light. Or the day in which, or the day which is bright, the day where the day when it, the day which brightens, and the day that bright, the day that itself is bright, and of course these are not very far away from each other in terms of uh, what the, the the different opinions are. However, there's no doubt that the principle that if you can keep a pronoun, a group of pronouns referring to the same thing, this is awla. It's more deserving. So it seems to me that to keep all of the pronouns referring to the sun is more apparent to me in the tafsir of the ayah. So if that if we do that, then we would say, وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا By the sun and its forenoon. وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا تَلَاهَا And by the moon when it follows the sun. وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا جَلَّاهَا And by the day when it makes the sun's light apparent. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَاهَا And that's our next ayah. The the night when it covers up the sun. Ibn Jarir ta'ala, he said, it covers the sun when it sets, so the horizon becomes dark. It covers the sun when it sets, so the horizon becomes dark. Once again, the pronoun is given referring to the sun. It's also said that it means that it refers to the horizon, uh, that the darkness uh, covers up the horizon. Again, based on the principle that if something is obvious, you don't have to mention it. So some of them said it refers to the horizon, the afaq, the horizons become dark. But again, to me, it seems to me that if we have a way that makes sense to keep all of these ha, 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 refer to the sun, then that is awla. It's more deserving in terms of the principles of tafsir. It's more deserving. So that would be by the sun and its forenoon, and by the moon when it follows the sun, and by the day when it makes the light of the sun apparent, and by the night when it covers up the sun. When it covers up the sun. Then Allah Azzawajal, and that finishes our topic of the sun right there. Allah Azzawajal talks and swears by the heavens. And there's no doubt that, again, the heavens are from the most clear of the ayat of Allah. Look at the ayat of Allah that he mentioned, the sun and the moon and the day and the night. And then Allah mentioned the heavens. These are from the ayat which are clear. And we said that this relates to the clarity in the commands and prohibitions of Islam. إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيِّنٌ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيِّنٌ In the hadith of Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu anhumah. The Prophet said the halal is clear and the haram is clear. They're clear like the clarity of the sun and the moon and the day and the night. Just like Allah has made those clear, likewise Allah has made the difference between what is right and wrong clear. 
Allah swears by the heavens. But now the question comes about the word ma here. The, the following ayat, many of the following ayat, they have the word ma in it. وَالسَّمَاءِ وَمَا بَنَاهَا وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا طَحَاهَا وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا These three ayat which follow, all of them have ma. And the scholars of tafsir here, they differed over the use of the word ma in three opinions. We could say two opinions, but I think if we say three opinions, it's a little bit easier to understand or clearer. The first opinion is that the word ma here is mustariya, And that means that it conveys the meaning of the noun. So this would be, just to give an example, by the heavens and their making. By the heavens and their making. Making being the noun, the verbal noun, the noun that comes from the verb. And that the word ma here, it, it changes the, the, the following word or it gives the following word the meaning of the noun. So by the heavens and their making. By the heavens and their making. This was the opinion of some of the scholars of the Arabic language like Al-Farra and Al-Zajjaj and others. The second opinion, and this is the opinion of Jumhur, of the Salaf, the majority of the Salaf, is that ma here means men, referring to the subject of the verb. So how would that be? That would be by the heavens and their maker. We said the first one, by the heavens and their making. Allah is swearing by the heaven and swearing by the way that he made the heaven or the fact that he made the heaven. In the second opinion, the word ma here means men. Therefore, the meaning would be by, I swear by the heavens and the one who made them. I by the heavens and their maker. And this was the opinion of Mujahid, it was the opinion of Ibn Jarir. However, the third opinion, in my, uh, my, what I can see, Allah knows best, is the strongest opinion, and that is the opinion of Ibn Kathir, that both of these two are intrinsically connected and both of them are true. In other words, one of them indicates the other. So here, if we take the opinion of the majority of the Salaf, the opinion of Ibn Jarir and others, that it means their heavens and their maker, then here, the fact that Allah mentioned the heaven and the maker of the heaven, by default, this includes the making of the heaven as well. So in what Ibn Kathir is saying is that these two, there is talazum between them. They, ha they go together. They can't be separated. Whenever you bring one, the other one has to come. So when you say, I swear by, when Allah says, I swear by the heavens and their maker, that in necessitates swearing by the making of the heaven as well. And so the two of them are connected and all of them are true. That's basically what Ibn Kathir, he mentioned. And he mentioned a principle in this. He said, if an ayah has two or more possible meanings and there exists a connection between the two of them and nothing prevents you applying both of them, then all of them are to be applied to the ayah. This is a principle Ibn Kathir he brought. It's a very beneficial principle. If an ayah has two or more possible meanings and there exists a connection between the two, in other words, that the two are inherently connected. They, they are weaved together, connected together. And there's nothing, no reason to prevent you doing so. Then you should take all of the meanings. You shouldn't take one of them alone. You should take all of them. And he said, because these three are all connected, the heavens, the maker, and the making are all sort of intertwined with one another in the sense that they all, you can't have one without the other. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the heavens. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala built the heavens. And when he swears by the heavens and he swears by himself who made the heavens and built the heavens, by default that includes swearing by making the heavens as well. And so as Ibn Kathir said, when you have a meaning like this where you have different opinions but all of them are connected to one another, as long as there's no reason to prevent you from doing so, you should take all of them. And that appears to me to be the stronger opinion in this, that all of these are intended. And that's true for all of the usages of the word ma in these three ayat, that what is referred to is the noun and the subject. 
by the heavens, their making and their maker. That is appears to me to be the the best meaning. Maybe not the best literal translation, but in terms of the meaning, the best meaning is to say by the heavens, the making and the maker, all of them together. As Ibn Kathir said, Rahimahullahu Taala. And by the earth, and again, the same thing is said here that ma can mean mustariya. In other words, it can refer to the earth and the leveling of it. And it also can refer to, and the opinion of the majority of the salaf is that it refers to the, the one who leveled it out. So Allah is swearing by Himself. In other words, He swears by the earth. And the one who made it level. The earth and the one who spread it out. That by the earth and the one who spread it out. And as we said, there is no reason why you can't take both, as Ibn Kathir said, and say that it refers to by the earth, it's spreading, and the one who spread it out. As for the meaning of Tahaha here, Mujahid, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, made it level. Al-Awfi reported from Ibn Abbas, created within it by the earth and all the things that Allah created in it. Uh, Ali ibn Abi Talha narrated from Ibn Abbas, divided it up by the earth and what Allah divided and how Allah divided it up or by the one who divided it up. But the majority of the scholars of tafsir, including Mujahid Khatada, Tahak, Suddi, Thawri, Abu Salih, Ibn Zayd, Rahimahumullah, they said that the mean in is basataha, he spread it out. And that was the opinion of Ibn Jarir, rahimahullah ta'ala. So if we take the word as being spreading it out, then it would be by the earth, it's spreading out and the one who spread it out. By the earth, it's spreading out and the one who spread it out. Allah swears by the fact that he spread the earth out and made it flat and some of the scholars explain that means that you can build upon it. You can dig into it. You can make uh, you know, your houses with strong foundations on it because Allah has just spread it out and made it level. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easy for you to travel in, among the different places in the earth. And Allah has made it, made it expansive and vast. So all of these are from the meanings of tahaha. By the earth, it's spreading out. And the one who spread it out, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa Jal, He is the one who spread out the earth, made it flat, made it possible to build upon, to dig into, to travel upon, to have roads that we travel on. And these are also from the clear ayat of Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah mentions in many different surahs of the Quran. Allah mentions the fact that He made roads and He flattened out the earth for you and He spread the earth out for you. And so it is possible to live on it it's easy to live on you can grow vegetation on it you can have fields with crops and plants and so on and so forth and you can also have places to live and, and what have you this is all from the signs of allah azza wa jal wal ardi wa ma tahaha wa nafsin wa ma sawaha the same thing about ma is said here in this third ayah allah swears by the soul and by the the proportioning of the soul and the one who proportioned it, who is Allah Allah is the one who proportioned it. As we said, the majority of the Salaf, they said about the word ma here, that it means men. So that would mean, when nafs wa man sawaha, by the soul and the one who fashioned it or proportioned it. And likewise, uh, we said you can take both. So you can say by the soul, it's proportion or proportioning, or its fashioning, and the one who fashioned it. Now, the question we have here, uh, generally speaking, that the, the first thing that comes to mind about the, the, the proportioning of the soul is that it refers to Allah Azza wa Jal creating the soul in a natural fitra, a natural state. And there are many um, evidences for this from the evidences, the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, ma min mawludin illa yuladu ala al-fitrah, or kama qala Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there is no child except that he is born in a natural state. 
and the Hadith Qudusi in which the Prophet ﷺ narrates that Allah said, خَلَقْتُ عِبَادِي حُنَفَى I created my servants in a pure state of monotheism. So this is what is apparent from the, the when you first look at the ayah and you first think about the ayah, that it's referring to the internal state that Allah created it upright. Allah created it with istiqamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it in a sense that it was given its proper, uh, its proper state and it was brought into a natural state of worshipping Allah azza wa jal alone. However, some of the scholars also link this to the external, the proportioning of the human being from the outside, that the human being has been given the best uh, proportion and fashioning and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the human being in terms of their limbs and their their body and so on in the best way and it also refers to the soul however there's no doubt that the ayah is more upon the issue of the soul than the person why did the scholars differ over this in the first place because the word nafs could be used the word nafs could be used to mean al-insan to mean a person but here what the next ayah tells us the context from the next ayah it tells us فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا that Allah inspired it with what is wicked and what is righteous. Here what it tells us is that the, the meaning of a nafs in the ayah is the soul. And so it's talking about the way that Allah created the soul, not necessarily the body. That's mentioned in other ayat of the Qur'an. وَصَوَّرَكُمْ فَأَحْسَنَ صُوَرَكُمْ Allah created and fashioned you and he made your forms in an excellent way. However, uh, what's referred to here, and Allah knows best, is the internal sense that Allah created the soul in a state of uprightness, in a state of fitrah, a natural state. So Allah inspired the soul and the word inspired here is really interesting. Alhamaha. The scholars, some of them said that al-ilham, what it means is to gain knowledge of something without any effort or study. To gain knowledge of something without any effort or any study. So it's not like the fujur and the taqwa, the wickedness and the righteousness required you to study and think about it and reflect upon it. And to spend many, many years, you know, of philosophical thought to decide what's good and what's bad. Rather, this is not how Allah created people. Allah created people with an intrinsic understanding of what's right and wrong. They may lose that understanding because of their parents, their environment, their disobedience to Allah. They might lose that natural understanding of what's right and wrong. But that natural understanding, that basic understanding, now we're not saying that it doesn't require knowledge because knowledge is required to develop that and to maintain it. But Allah created the soul with a basic concept of what's right and wrong. And that's why if we look at, for example, different opinions of the scholars of tafsir here, Ibn Kathir, he said, Allah guided the soul and made clear to it what is right and what is wicked. Ibn Abbas, he said, Allah made clear what is good and what is evil. And that was the opinion of Qatada, Al-Dahaq, and Al-Thawri, rahimahumullah ta'ala. Sa'id ibn Jubayr said, Allah inspired the soul to know good and evil. Ibn Zayd, uh, he, he brought a slightly different uh, spin or a slightly different look, uh, sort of perspective on the ayah when he said, rahimahumullah ta'ala, he said that Allah placed within it wickedness and righteousness. And some of the scholars interpreted the statement of Ibn Zayd to mean the understanding of wickedness and righteousness so all of these first all of these first opinions all relate to the fact that Allah azza wa al khair wa shar Allah made clear what good is and what evil is just like Allah made clear the sun and Allah made clear the the moon and Allah azza wa made the the day and the night a clear sign of Allah azza wa and his right to be worshiped Likewise, Allah made clear to you what is right and what is wrong. 
إن الحلال بين وإن الحرام بين. The halal is clear and the haram is clear. Allah made clear to you. Now that again, we're not saying that it doesn't. You don't study and become more aware, but Allah is which placed within you a fitrah. And the more you study Islam and you bring Islam and you implement Islam, the more that you develop that natural state that Allah Azawajal created you for and created you in. So Allah Azawajal created you with an intrinsic understanding of what's right and what's wrong. And that's really interesting when you think about the concept of why it is that there are some, uh, we could call them common human values you know, among most human beings in, in most societies, in different places, how is it that human beings have a set of common values, generally speaking, you know, that it's wrong to kill people and that it's wrong to steal and it's wrong to lie and, you know, so on and so forth. Part of that is what Allah Azza wa Jal inspired the soul with, that Allah Azza wa Jal made the soul in a state where it has a, a basic understanding of right and wrong, but no doubt a the parents can corrupt it. And that's why when the Prophet spoke about the fact that every child is born in a natural state of, of worshipping Allah alone or recognizing Allah's right to be worshipped, but it's their parents who make them into a Jew or a Christian or a Majin. So here the Prophet, and he gave the example of the Bahima which is when the when the behemoth, when the, the cattle give birth to, to its offspring. It gives birth to an offspring, behemoth and jama'a, an offspring which has no uh, no uh, disfiguration. It hasn't been disfigured. You don't see any jada, you don't see any that you don't see the ear of the cattle being cut. Rather, when you see a, a baby a cattle, a baby like a sheep or a, like a cow or something, and you see that the ear has been cut and it's been disfigured, you know that was done by a person. That's the example the Prophet gave of the parents in terms of what they do to their children. You know, when you see that child grow up to be a Christian, they didn't grow up to be a Christian naturally. They grew up to be a Christian because their parents taught them Christianity. And, and that's why when you see, for example, an animal that has been disfigured with a knife, you know that the animal wasn't born like that. There was a person came and did that to the animal. Likewise, when you see a person who follows a religion other than Al-Hanifiyya, the pure religion of Tawheed and the religion of Ibrahim, والسلام, you know that that person didn't come to that religion in a natural way. Rather, the environment they were in, their parents, their society, force them and push them and develop them like that. Uh, and uh, Allah Azza wa Jal, as we said, created mankind in a state of natural inclination to worship him alone. Along came the prophets and messengers and they brought the final hujjah, the clearest proof and the clearest evidence to show the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal and the right of Allah to be worshipped alone. So, if you look, if you, if you, a person may say, and this is where sometimes we talk about fitrah, and a person may turn around and say, well, is the fitrah enough? Are you saying that if the fitrah is enough, why do we need prophets and messengers and scripture? The fitrah is not, is not Allah hasn't made it enough in the sense that Allah Azza wa Jal has blessed us by not simply leaving us with the fitrah alone. Rather, Allah gave us the fitrah and then Allah gave us prophets and scriptures and scripture. Prophets and scripture which show us what our fitrah was already inclined towards. That's why when we say Islam is the natural religion, Islam is the religion that's natural. It doesn't have, there's nothing forced in it because it's only calling you to your fitrah, to your natural inclination to worship Allah alone. And that's part of what Allah inspired a person with. However, Ibn Jarir narrated an athar in which the apparent meaning is that the tafsir of this ayah is that Allah created a servant to be guided or misguided. And this is very profound. That some of the scholars of tafsir, the way they understood this ayah is not that Allah 
inspired a person to know what's right and wrong, but that Allah Azza wa Jal inspired a person to be a worshipper of Allah or to turn away from the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. And that emphasizes to us that guidance and misguidance are in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. And Allah Azza wa Jal inspires a person to worship Him. And Allah Azza wa Jal might inspire a person and we seek refuge with Allah Azza wa Jal from this that Allah might inspire a person to turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this will be by Allah's wisdom and justice. And that's why we want to re-emphasize that when you hear a statement like this, you shouldn't feel like it's unfair or it's oppression or it's wrong. Rather, what you should say is that Allah guides out of a favor and a grace. And Allah misguides out of wisdom and justice. So whenever Allah guides a person, He guides them as a favor and a grace. It's not something they deserve. You don't deserve for Allah to have, have inspired you to be a person of taqwa. You don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. For Allah to have inspired us to be a person of taqwa, that's a gift from Allah, a favor from Allah, a grace from Allah. And if Allah inspired a person to turn away from the truth, and to turn away from Allah he did that through his wisdom and his justice. He didn't, he wasn't unfair in any way at all. And we've spoken more about this when we explained the topic of Al-Qadr wal Qada. We talked about the Qadr and the Qada. And this also leads you to an interesting uh, thought or an interesting concept, which is that this really tells you about the combination of your will and your free will, and the will of Allah. And that can be taken from the next ayah also. So we'll, we'll talk about this in the context of the next, uh, of the next ayah. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا The one who purifies it, the soul, has been successful. And the one who corrupts it, that person has lost and that person has and they have they they have, they have put themselves in a state of loss and a state of punishment a terrible situation because they corrupted that soul now when we come to this the scholars of tafsir they have two broadly they have two opinions about this i or these ayat qad aflaha man zakkaha wa qad khaba man the first, and this is the opinion of the majority of the Mufassirin, the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, is that the one who purifies the soul is the person who has the soul. So, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا Successful is the one who purifies their soul. And that this refers to تَزْكِيَةُ nafs, Purifying your soul, correcting your soul, bringing your soul back to the fitrah, cleaning your soul of its sins, and transgression, making tawbah and turning back to Allah, purifying the soul. And this ayah is an, is an asal, it's a fundamental principle as it relates to the purification of the soul. In fact, this ayah is one of the most basic uh, ayat, fundamental concepts in the command of a person to purify their soul, tazkiyatun nafs, to purify your soul um, and to turn to Allah through tawbah and istighfar and muhasabatun nafs, taking yourself to account and to clean and purify your soul from the things which corrupt it. But there is another opinion among some of the scholars of tafsir, and that is that the subject of the word zakaha is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it's Allah that is referred to, i.e., that it is Allah that purifies that person's soul. And it is Allah Azza wa Jal that corrupts that person's soul. So the translation in this case would be, successful is the one who Allah purified their soul. And lost or and a failure is the one who Allah corrupted their soul. And that's where we bring it back to this concept of guidance and misguidance coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That all guidance is in the hands of Allah Jalla Fi'ula. Everything is in the hands of Allah. He guides as a blessing and a favor. A grace and a favor. Nothing more than that. You should not feel like it's something a person deserves 
or a person has, you know, I've done enough good deeds that I deserve for Allah to guide me. You don't deserve for Allah to guide you. It's a grace and a blessing and a favor. Like Allah told us in Surah Al-Hujurat, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعِسْيَانِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الرَّاشِدُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمَةً وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah has made iman beloved to you and he's beautified it for you in your hearts and he's made you hate disbelief and defiance and disobedience. Those are the rightly guided. فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمَةً As a grace from Allah and a favor. وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ And Allah knows and Allah is wise about who to give that favor to. So guidance is a favor from Allah. But that favor is not given randomly. It's not like random, just like a, a, the randomness of a lottery. Like you got a favor, you didn't. You got a favor, you didn't. Rather, Allah doesn't Allah know best the ones who will be grateful? Allah knows who will be grateful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives that gift and that favor, even though they don't deserve it. Allah gives them because he knows that they are the most grateful or they tried the hardest. And Allah told us, Those who strive for us, we will guide them to our way. And so Allah promised to guide us to his path if we work hard. So Allah has, uh, this tells us that Allah is the one who purifies the soul or the one who corrupts the soul. The guidance and misguidance are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Allah misguides, he misguides out of his knowledge and his wisdom and his justice. Allah doesn't misguide unjustly or unfairly. He misguides those people who did not take on the message, did not try, didn't strive, didn't work hard, didn't turn to Allah, didn't beg Allah, didn't feel like they need Allah. Rather, they they istagna, as we mentioned in the tafsir of uh, some of the surahs that have preceded uh, about the one who is istagna, the one who uh, doesn't feel like they need Allah. Allah misguided them out of justice, fairness, and wisdom, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So actually we can combine these two both together. We can see that both of them are true, that a person is required to purify themselves and to save their souls from corruption, and that Allah is the one who ultimately gives you the success to be able to do that or withholds it from you. And that is found in the statement of Allah Azzawajal, لِمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَسْتَقِيمُ وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ Whoever among you wishes to be upright, i.e. being upright and desiring your soul to be pure is something you can aim for and strive for. But ultimately you can't achieve it without the help of Allah and that tells you how much we desperately need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what Allah made easy for me to mention in this Tafsir and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Wassalatu wassalam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share and you can visit muhammadtim.com.